Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon by Sir Paul Smith. One of the most successful men's fashion designers in the world and a titan of British industry, Paul's career began after a bike crash as a teenager. His rise in the world of fashion was slow and steady but ultimately unstoppable. From a tiny shop in Nottingham, Paul now operates over 300 stores worldwide, each with their own unique personality and still oversees every single area of the business himself. For today's episode, I met Paul in his remarkable office in Covent Garden. It's an overflowing museum of collectibles, bizarre trinkets and priceless works of art. With that as our backdrop, Paul tells us about his bespoke by appointment service, why the most dangerous thing you can do is to follow trends and what to do if you ever receive a live pigeon in the post. Paul, thanks very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Nice to be here. (laughs) It's all right. Well, we're with you. We're in your office. Yeah, we're in, uh, yes, um, full of bicycles and uh, books and objects so you get sent these bicycles for free for i mean obviously a podcast isn't the best thing to review the (laughs) contents of a room but what we're looking at is is dozens of colorful bicycles from all over the world kind of india lithuania um and from a lot of famous cyclists but i mean do you still cycle regularly yeah i mean uh my dream as a teenager was to be a racing cyclist and after a, a crash i ended up doing this the day job, <laughs> which yeah. is called fashion, Absolutely. Uh, and I do. I, I've got a bike which I ride. Sadly, not as much as I would like to do because yeah. of a um, busy schedule and, and stuff. the London commute. I mean, it's not very. No, safe. I mean I have a home, luckily in Italy, and, oh, okay. uh, and I keep a. I've got one of Brad Wiggins' old bikes in in Italy, so I wow. I use that one, and uh, that's when I really have the opportunity to, to ride a bike when I'm. Uh, when I'm on holiday in, in the summer. Yeah. So it's quite an incredible story for anyone that doesn't know. It. You're the kind of the way you got into fashion was almost accidental well, entirely. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> fell into fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Crash. <laughs> yeah, I was a bike rider from the age of twelve until eighteen and then uh, my dream was to be, you know, do it do it for a living. And um, and then Carr and I had a had an argument at the car okay. one and uh, after a Three months in hospital, I, I discovered the English pub, and uh, luckily the pub I discovered was um, where all the art students went. So okay. that that um, that was a f- students of fashion, photography, architecture, graphic design, and so the my world, you know, changed into the yeah. world of creativity, creativity, which was you know wonderful. So it was never a deliberate thing. It was kind of just no, by it, not at all. I mean, my 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 passion was uh, bike riding yeah but uh, I I had a I I mean I was I think I was relatively smartly dressed uh, I mean but I wasn't a real sort of clothes horse or anything right but I I was only 18 when I had the crash so I suppose a lot of young people are not that interested in in anything particular up until 16 17 18 and then then they then it's things start to change. So I, I became just more conscious of creativity. And then uh, at the age of 19, I start helped somebody start a shop, and then I got into to fashion that way. And then at the age of 21, I met uh, Pauline, who became my girlfriend, now my wife. Yeah. And she was the one that really 
got me into the world of making making clothes because she studied fashion at the Royal College of Art and the fashion she studied was couture fashion. Okay, so, so that proper... means that means, you know, making it by hand to fit the body. Yeah. And basically that's for women, but for men it's bespoke. Yeah. So what was the first piece of clothing you ever made? Do you remember? Uh, uh, well the 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 piece of clothing I probably made was because uh, Pauline made most of the original Paul Smith uh, items, so the the one I made was shirts. I used to make make shirts for um, a company in London that I was based in Nottingham at the time, and we there was a a, a company called the Chelsea Cobbler, who made bespoke shoes, and uh, they wanted to have some shirts in yeah. the shop just to go go along with you know the shoes they sold so i i remember making those and being frightened with this thing called a buttonholer and a, a and it was so scary because i had a big knife that came down to <laughs> cut the button uh, hole and um working that for the first time was yeah. uh, was pretty hair raising and did you call them paul smith were you saying these are paul smith shirts no no then? they were called uh, chelsea cobbler shirts oh, okay and, and then 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 we started pauline and i started our own little shop um when i was 21 so uh, then we did have some paul smith yeah uh, items so it was very it was very kind of accidental as we say a very slow gradual comfortable falling into this world of fashion yeah but i mean i think that's probably why i'm still doing okay you know and still here because at some point i've actually done most of the jobs myself so yeah. i used to call it training by doing it you know yeah. and uh, so i learned my skill from my wife who was at the royal college of art uh, i went to night school to learn about uh, bespoke tailoring as well as uh, being taught by Pauline. The interesting thing about that was the tailor that taught me, I, I think it used to be called City and Guilds, I don't know whether it still exists, um, it's like a night school. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the tailor that taught me was a military tailor. Wow. And what that what that meant was he was the ceremonial dress okay. tailor. So, so very the, sharp. Yeah, the guys you see at uh, Trooping of the Colour yeah. outside Buckingham Palace. or And, um, and of course... Uh, the interesting thing about tailoring for ceremonial, it's very much about uh, making the person look important and okay. uh, have good posture. Yeah. So it's very much about how you cut the cut the clothes, how you ma uh, how you actually the pads use in the shoulder, the type of stitching you use on the chest. So it was um it was brilliant learning curve. Yeah. So the combination of Pauline, uh, which was very much about quality. Uh, understanding cloth and then the military one was a good wow. good training yeah so you you had some tailoring experience but you didn't really have any kind of business experience no no at all. i mean I, I i i left school at 15 yeah um because of my cycling love of cycling and then uh started my own shop when i was 21 with you know a few hundred pounds worth of savings yeah and the the thing is that i never had any formal fashion training or formal business training so <laughs> did you help. ask for advice from people did you ask for help did you go to kind of older businessmen and say no how do i run a shop no. No. <laughs> the only thing i did do was that the, i my uh, some friends similar age to me one was uh, a solicitor and then one was a trainee accountant mm -hmm. 
and he said you should get this book called a simplex wow. system book, which meant you had to be simple to use it. <laughs> so it was perfect for me. It was a very basic accountancy book okay. called a simplex system, and, yeah. and all you did was really put in you know the basics how much your rent was and yeah uh, how how much you spent on this that and the other and and you hoped that it might be a, a fraction of profit at the end of the year which uh, <laughs> there normally was a very small amount but yeah. somehow it, it worked anyway and i was uh, i i'm not being over modest when i say this but i think I've done okay because i'm okay at business and i'm okay at design yeah rather than exceptionally you know one one or rather than the other i mean i think that's just helping just having to having to do it yourself yeah has really helped because you've packed the boxes you've written the invoice you've ordered the fabric you've done the selling so at some point you've experienced the things that i have one about 1400 staff now and yeah. uh, <laughs> they um you know they i i've at some point done some form of aspect of their job yeah and so our business was built very gently and very very slowly a uh, little doing a little bit better each year but never worrying about it because we were very happy was the 1960s a very i mean people assume it's a very creative time was it very creative did you know lots of musicians? Was there kind of lots of different influences around? When you're a teenager, I mean, the first... It's just a lovely time, hopefully, because you're experiencing uh, first girlfriend, first gig, first yeah. university, new experience, new experience, new experience. Whereas, uh, but the thing about the 1960s, in my opinion, it might not be uh, correct, but it was the second generation after the war, after the horror of... Uh, being deprived of yeah. many things, being very frightened and living in a very um, nervous sort of existence. And suddenly you sort of looked around and you could do more. You could be yourself. You had a little bit of opportunity. You had some money. People were doing things that were different. So, you you know, you got bands coming along with like the Stones or, yeah. the, you know, the Beatles and the, later on Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd yeah. and and very progressive uh, music in, in terms of music, graphic design, people like a guy called Alan Aldrich who did all this sort of, a lot of the artwork for the Beatles. Yeah. And I think the thing is that the it was just a time, the 60s was just a time that was very full of, um, <clears throat> of yes, of course you can yeah. do it. Why not? Let's, let's try. Let's have a go. And it was, and in fashion, it was actually quite an extreme period, and especially to the latter part of the 60s, which was, you know, long hair. Uh, was that your look? Did you have long hair? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think most young people, you know, were influenced by the bands at the time. And also there was a strong link between Los Angeles, San Francisco and London in terms of music. Mm. So you had Laurel, Laurel Canyon in in, um, in Los Angeles and then you had Height uh, and Ashbury or the whole hippie yeah. uh, um, area of um of San Francisco and uh, you know boys look like a lot more feminine than they would today and uh, and then later on you got movies like performance with Mick Jagger and wearing makeup and yeah. uh, it was just it, and what was lovely about it it was just 
all right. It wasn't aggressive. It wasn't about burning cars or killing people. It was just self-expression yeah. through wanting to look different to your older brother or your parents. And it was just a loosening of you just being able to relax a little yeah. bit more. Do you miss those kind of um, young, uncertain, adventurous days? Now you've got 1,500 members of staff or so and you've got shops I mean, I'm, 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 I'm blessed with being, uh, you know, Paul Smith is an independent company. Yeah. I'm still the boss, so, you know, we're surrounded in this, uh, the official boardroom <laughs> <laughs> with 17 bicycles and <laughs> uh, I can see a rabbit mask, a monkey mask, uh, <laughs> you know, lots of objects. So, I mean... I mean, I'm just blessed with being able to still still be myself and the adventures are still there. I mean, yeah. not the same adventures, but they're still there. You know, I, I travel the world most weeks of my life and uh, I'm very blessed with being able to make the decisions myself and being quite spontaneous. Yeah. I think, uh, I, think it, I would say that sadly the world is not um, so spontaneous as it as it was was before and I think uh, especially younger generation now are a lot more considered because um, as we said earlier there's a lot of comparison you can make yeah. all the time well my career path should be following this or my appearance should be this or my group that I'm with should be like this or yeah uh, and, and so there's a lot more it's a lot more to consider now whereas when I was starting out, there was very little to consider because there was a, there weren't you know clothes shops across the whole country, or there was not the internet. So it's just yeah. a very different way. I, I mean, it doesn't mean that one's better than or one's worse. It was just different. Do you think there's a danger as all these former formerly independent houses come under these big umbrellas? That they're losing some of that independence and spontaneity. Yes, I mean, I think I think it depends on what your priorities are. Somebody, yeah. we had a group of people here yesterday, and uh, <clears throat> one of the gentlemen said, "Oh, uh, you know, have you considered selling to some of the bigger companies?" And I said, "Not at all." And he said, "Well, why not? You get a, lo- a load of money." And I said, "Well, if that's the priority, yes, I would, but." I'm comfortable and I'm happy and I'm healthy and yeah. you know it depends on what your priorities are you know for me I'd, I'd just sooner be able to you know paint a building pink or or slide down the banister on yeah <laughs> without asking anybody is, that is this correct is this correct for the brand image you know <laughs> yeah, yeah you speak about the your pink buildings and stuff and all your floor spaces and all your amazing spaces you've got everywhere you, Paul Smith is quite unique again in that you own all of them, I think. Is that right? Yeah, well, this building we're sitting in, we own, and we own our New York building, Milan building, uh, five warehouses in my hometown, and um, the ones in Mayfair. So over the years, rather than needing or wanting or having private jets show for driven cars or yeah. uh, anything like that I'm happy to have my bike <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as we've made a bit of money we've been somehow wise enough to invest in yeah. uh, well where Westbourne House is where the bespoke is for instance uh, we own that building and uh, it's just I think I'm just old fashioned really yeah. you know I, I remember my, my father always saying it's good to own something if you can you know <laughs> So uh, I think that's what I, what happens. And stuff. a bespoke by appointment service out of 
the Westbourne House, which is in West London. Yeah. How did that come about? Westbourne House is an old house. And I think there's something charming about the fact that you can have, uh, you can order handmade clothes uh, out of a house in, in Notting Hill in London. Um, I've enjoyed bespoke uh, clothes. My first suit uh, I got bespoke was um, mint green double-breasted wow. when I was 18. <laughs> Have you still um, got that somewhere? No, oh, I shame. don't think so. <laughs> um, probably my wife threw it out many years ago. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by handmade clothes okay. and I used to hang out with a tailor in uh, Nottingham and uh, watch him cut and watch him make the patterns and watch him stitch and it's always been something I've really been uh, you know really enjoyed and um, so I, my dream was always to have a bespoke uh, room and uh, that's something that we now have the suits are about three three thousand pounds upwards um, so it is, it's quite a costly thing but it's a really delightful thing to if nobody's had a bespoke suit uh, yeah it's a really lovely thing to to do we've got this enormous selection of fabrics you can choose your own lining you could choose your own buttons your own um buttonholes it's just a, a very fascinating thing to do do people get very experimental with it no uh, we've got one or two customers that, that are very experimental it's very good if you are um, for instance very tall or yeah. you find it difficult to get things off the peg but otherwise it's just a nice thing and the great thing about hand stitch clothes is that there will always be a small imperfection mm. so when you have got hand stitched lapel or the sleeve in uh, is put in by hand it, you're very reliant on the the tightness of the stitch from the tailor and, and that little imperfection is just a, such a beautiful sign that it's, uh, it's made by hand. I think uh, bespoke has never been more delightful because um, you can get anything anywhere uh, at every level. Uh, and the one thing that's great is if it's a, a cabinet made out of wood by a carpenter by hand just for you or a particular uh, pair of shoes that are made specially for you yeah and then uh, obviously for a suit it's the thing that you wear in, in many cases if you're a businessman you wear every day and so it's it's just a very beautiful thing. You know, a handmade suit is really different, um, especially the armholes. If the sleeve has been put in by hand, uh, you'll get a lot more movement uh, when, right. you're, when you're leaning forward, when you're stretching. So it's a very comfortable thing. Do you still get your hands dirty? Are you still uh, tailoring? I, I, I probably could still uh, <laughs> create one, but um, not anymore. But um, we've got two very good cutters, both trained on Savile Row. Yeah. The clothes are made in, in uh, London. In, um, and, you know, they're, they're real experts at their job. We've spoken about the office. I mean, that is probably the most eclectic place <laughs> in the entire Paul Smith portfolio. Yeah. How did it start, this this kind of accidental hoarding where people are sending you all well, this stuff? I, I mean, that's a question that many people ask all the time <laughs> and I uh, have very lovely visitors here, one of them being Jonathan Ive from uh, yeah. Apple and he, he's been a pal of mine since actually before he actually joined Apple. But um, when he comes, he stands in the, and said, how did this start? And And, and neither of us can answer that question and it's just the fact that people think they can 
send a letter or an object, uh, uh, something to me, and they know that it will be enjoyed or appreciated. And what's lovely is they're never. It's never about demands. It's so never tit for tat. They're never asking for no, something. No, no. I mean, they don't say, "I'm sending you this because I want a job." I mean, a lot of things just come, and they. I had, we had seven hundred assorted old mobile phones arrive in a box saying, I know Paul Smith likes things. <laughs> things, just yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with 700 old phones? We've just uh, decorated an entire wall in a new shop in Paris with them. Okay, and, wow. Uh, and that's caused fantastic interest because people come into the shop and really enjoy oh i used to have one of those oh no isn't that lovely i remember (laughs) my first one that you open up and Uh, are they kind of the last 30 years are they really old ones or well i mean i'm not an expert on that but there was you know a lot a lot of the ones that used to open up rather than just okay flat ones so they're quite visually nice they're not just yeah yeah and they're all attached to the wall um one wall Lovely. So, so it looks really good. So you're not surprised anymore by anything that comes through the post? Not at all, because we have Kirsty, who works with me for many years. She's so used to madness and, yeah. and so laid back that we had a call from reception saying that there's a live pigeon arrived for Paul. And she said... <laughs> That's not in the schedule. <laughs> Rather than, what? A live pigeon? <laughs> and I thought that sort of summed up their building, actually. And the things that are behind me here, these, like a, a rabbit with a stamps on it. And yeah. Now, I'm not sure if you know about that story, but that's an unknown admirer or fan <laughs> that for over 40 years, unknown, 40 wow. years has been sending things like a, a skateboard, a ski, a chair, a football, a hat, uh, a, a peace sign, a plastic uh, birthday cake on my birthday. And first of all, there's no note. They're always from the same handwriting. And the key thing is that they arrive and they're never in a box. Okay, so, so they, they are the uh, kind of package. They literally they just... arrive as... as as you see them. And we had the postman one day arrived with a, a large Austrian cowbell round his neck going dong, dong, dong yeah. as they walked in the door. And that was one with the stamps and the ad- address actually on the on the cowbell. Incredible. Not, not in a box. Well, we must find out who that is. Would you no, like to know? No, no, absolutely. Don't want to know. No. <laughs> it might be someone very close to you who's been pranking you for all these years. <laughs> well, they come from America. First. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And uh, we've had the BBC, we've had all sorts of people saying, oh, can we try and track this person down? I say, oh, no, why? <laughs> it's such a, it's lovely because there's no demand. And I've heard you say before that you kind of get inspiration from these different random yeah, things that course, come in. Yeah, of course, yeah, because, I mean, the, the, uh, the room where we are and the room next door is just full of things which have no monetary value or are very valuable or they're very bad taste or very beautiful taste and small things, big things, rough yeah. things, smooth things. And they, of course, they can be absolutely inspirational in any way. I mean, just you could think, oh, well, a really kitsch print on a T-shirt, but with a cashmere suit or something like yeah. that, you know. If it's kind of Monday morning and on the first day when you know you've got to design a new collection and you get in at 7am or something, probably earlier. Six. Six, yeah, quite right. What, what do you do at that time? What's your first thing? What's step one? Well, it, it, normally the, the first thing I do is um, 
be pleased that I'm just on my own and I can just get myself my day organised because I will have already had a, a list from Kirsty about what the day yeah uh, what, what's happening like today I knew I was doing this so you get your head around your day and prepare for your day we're often ring um, Japan because they're nine hours ahead and I have an office in Japan and 260 shops in yeah. Japan um, so there's normally something to to talk about there and then if I've got a design meeting um, I'll probably trawl through a lot of my books just for I mean if it's a design meeting about colour or if it's a design meeting about uh, a particular what do we have a certain theme in mind or um, but I will have already have this the notebooks which I'm now showing the microphone um, <laughs> uh, I will already have um, things in mind that I would have thought of two weeks ago, yeah. yesterday, and then and they, just kind of little notes saying, yeah, and then I will collate them together. So there'll be, yeah. it might say, you know, butterfly wings, and that will mean something to me. It mean the iridescent color of a of a butterfly's yeah. wing, and that might turn into a mercerized cotton for a piece of knitwear. You know, so it could be anything, and I'm very. I've got a, a very lateral way of thinking about things, and I'm quite blessed with having good eyes. Yeah. Uh, over here, um, on the left of the microphone, <laughs> are a big pile of photographs from my father, who was an amateur photographer, yeah. and uh, so he was the uh, founder member of the local camera club in the town where we lived, outside of Nottingham. And uh, then, of course, it was not digital. It was. Uh, developing and printing with film and yeah. you had to have a dark room and so at the age of 11 onwards uh, I got given a camera by my dad and I started taking photographs and um, used to develop and print uh, photographs with my dad in in the attic of the house he built a dark room and the interesting thing about photography especially then is you had to look through a viewfinder so yeah. like a small square um, and you really had to consider what you were looking at and the composition of what you were looking at. And I think that over the years has trained my eyes to to look and see rather than just look. And so that helps me a lot with my design work because I'll look at a wall and I'll see texture or I'll see graffiti or I'll see shadows and that could turn into a influence to a, for a print or a fabric or... Yeah. Whatever. So there are ideas coming in, kind of all. all yeah, I mean the uh, least the... of the problem, honestly. <laughs> and I'm not being at all silly when I say this, but the least of the ideas are a least of the problem are ideas. Sorry. So there's never a kind of writer's block. Not at all. No. no. The, the, the hardest thing is just, as you know, and uh, you know, many people know who are listening. Hopefully, is you know just just existing and building a business and getting around in today's world is far more complicated than it used to be and uh, the actual creative side to be honest is the easy bit it's the turning the ideas into reality and then keeping that going yeah often people ask me about my most the thing i'm most proud of and i, I would always answer continuity because we've been doing fine for a yeah. long time and uh, so many people do the Andy Warhol 15 minutes um, and then sadly fall by the wayside. But at least we've been 
doing okay for a while. But do you ever have moments of kind of doubt and think, oh, maybe we've gone slightly wrong with this collection? I mean, over the years, um, I've had two or three, four times where there's a, a very strong thing happening in, let's say, fashion. Yeah. But it could be anything. It could be shop design or it could be graphic design or something where things have suddenly changed dramatically like it let's say everything's gone very minimal or mm -hmm. everything's gone very decorative and, and in fact both of those things have happened recently with fashion for instance yeah. right now there's a lot of ornamentation uh, decoration the kind of pattern. Gucci yep, exactly. yeah and then previously they would have the more minimal um, uh, effects of the Japanese designer so you you question oh should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Should I? And then nearly always, you, oh, hopefully, you always come back to say, well, no, I am what I am. Yeah. So what people want from me is what's been overused, but the classic with a twist. You know, yeah. it's just the fact that you can wear Paul Smith clothes, but there's always a little sense of humour, a little hidden detail in the lining or... Um, an unusual pattern or just the way you put things together. Yeah, and people often say, don't they, with a Paul Smith suit that they it's either their first suit or the suit they get married in. Yes, Is that the, true? it's amazing that that's probably the, the main thing that people tell me when I travel the world. They see me at an airport or something, I got married in... I got married in one of your suits. Yeah. I mean, and, and actually, um, I can't name any names, but quite a lot of famous people now, well, <laughs> they weren't famous then, but now they say, I got married in one of your suits, and now they're, you know, pretty uh, important uh, yeah. actor or musician or something, which is lovely. I had one friend, we, uh, one of our shops in Covent Garden, um, in the basement is where we sell all the suits and there's three changing rooms down there and a mirror at the end of the changing rooms. Yeah. And, um, and one of my pals, this is years ago now, one of my pals, a uh, 17 year old son wanted to get a suit for university. So he went and he said, I want a Paul Smith suit. So he went and uh, tried the suit on and he came out of the change room and turned left to look in the mirror. And at that point, Somebody else came out of the other changing room further down and looked at him and said, oh, you look cool, man. And it was David Bowie. <laughs> really? <laughs> and my friend's wow. son nearly, he just like went completely white. Oh, my and then, God. And then uh, <laughs> lost his voice. And, I bet he bought that suit then. He bought the suit and he will never forget it. I think he still downs out on that, uh, yeah. on that story. Yeah? So I'm interested in hearing your point of view on on the changing kind of culture and fashion right now. And as things go more and more digital towards the internet, what are the biggest kind of threats, especially to menswear? Well, I mean, just the, the first of all, I mean, I'm, you know, I've been around for a long time. And, you know, when I started my career, the average man had no interest in fashion. And certainly the average man never used moisturizer yeah. or body care or <laughs> they had hair but <laughs> yeah in which they pushed their hands through their fingers through you know but it, it, i mean now we've, we've changed so immensely that people are a lot more conscious even if you only wear a t-shirt and, and jeans you'd be a lot more <clears throat> conscious what they are but the, the the main thing probably is fast fashion really the fact they never used to be low cost yeah. fast fashion 
um, it, that didn't exist and now there there's so much of that and there's so much available um, online as well of course the in, internet never existed and now uh, our biggest uh, shop by far is is the e-com so it's it's meant that with shops you have to keep your shops looking really really interesting really special which is really played into our hands at Paul Smith because our shops are so um, you know, very very special we always end every interview with these slightly more personal, interesting questions. Mm. So you have to be as honest and, and immediate as you can. Who in the world of business do you most admire? Uh, oh, gosh, business. Somebody like Jonathan Ive from, yeah. from uh, Apple because, you know, he's, he stuck by his guns and, and he's, he did things which were very simple. And the, doing things which are less uh, is, is quite hard sometimes. Doing less... Yeah. What's your most treasured physical possession? This one will be difficult. Oh, that is very difficult. <laughs> if you have to pick one other thing in this huge <laughs> Can I come museum? back with a, a list of 450,000, <laughs> please? <laughs> uh, I mean, it would almost certainly be photo albums. Okay. Yeah, family photo albums. Yeah. Because that's something you can't really replace. Do you have a favourite piece of clothing? I've got some shoes that are 40 years old. Did you make them all? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. And they're still they're, going? Yeah. How many times have you resold them? Um, probably about four. Oh, really? Mm. Ten years ago. That's yeah, they're very, good. they're very, um, very robust. I won't tell you what they're made out of. But <laughs> okay. They're very tough. Do you have a personal motto in business or in life? Never you... assume. Never assume that it's being done. Always check that it's it's being done. Always check your flight. Always check whether the fabrics. Yeah. When the fabrics arriving, always check that the arrangements for supper are what you think they are. <laughs> always check you've booked a taxi, okay, uh, and never assume that you're doing okay. Just make sure you are. Yeah, and finally, what's your idea of happiness? Uh, just that every day is a new beginning. If you've had a, a day which is not so good today, tomorrow's always a new start. So. Uh, luckily, I every day's all right, so don't know why I've said that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Thank you very much, Paul, for speaking to us. Well, very welcome. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the worlds of entrepreneurs, raconteurs and tastemakers. But in the meantime, you can read more at thegentlemansjournal.com or follow us on Instagram if you're so inclined, at the Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.